Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to another Out of Spec podcast. I am your host, Francie, and Kyle is joining me today. I am in the Southeast. You are in Colorado. How's it been going lately, Kyle? So I heard Denver got snow, but we did not get any snow in Fort Collins, which is unusual. How do you feel about that? Yeah, pretty upset. I love love it when it snows. Oh, yeah. It's typical that y'all being closer to the mountains... You know, we'd get some snow before Denver, that big old warm city, but apparently not. Yeah, no snow, no snow here where I am. And I was also just out in Silicon Valley and there was no snow there. It was very nice weather. Anywho, so today's podcast, we're going to be answering your burning questions that y'all have been leaving on the Cybertruck videos that we've done so far. So we covered the Cybertruck steer by wire, the battery and the powertrain. And there's still a lot of curiosities out there. We still haven't gotten our hands on a Cybertruck, although I saw that one was driving around Colorado. So, Kyle, if you see one, you just need to kind of follow them and then chase them down. Is that is that your technique? That will be the plan, just to, you know, sort of pit maneuver them, steal the car or the truck, and then <laughs> make reviews. <laughs> so not ask, just take it. Yes, right. I think we're at the point where we just have to take one. Although it sounds like a bunch of early reservation holders in Texas and California got invited to order their Foundation Series Cybertruck, which is very different than the early uh, Founders Series. We've gone from Founders to Foundation uh, and uh, they're 120 grand for a tri-motor truck that comes with FSD all terrains, which in the previous episodes, we were like, we weren't sure what range numbers they were saying on what tires. It's 301 miles of EPA range on the all terrains for the tri-motor Cyber Beast. Uh, and so the all terrains cut about 30 miles off of your range, which is not unusual. Those tires are pretty electric sapping. And uh, what else do you get? You get vehicle to home stuff. 
Uh, you get the light bar integrated with the foundation series. So you get a bunch of cool things. And now that like a lot of our viewers are actually getting called to make reservations, we figured we'd go through all the questions they've left this week on the Cybertruck episodes and kind of talk about them. Exactly. So basically, I've kind of grouped these into some topics, Kyle, and I'm going to let you pick a topic to start with. So of, of all the things that, you know, I've grouped these into, but also that we've talked about. So steering, powertrain, towing and hauling, battery, the extender, range extender pack, onboard charging, high voltage architecture. Actually, you know what? I know where I want to start. I want to start with the, the 48 volt system. So um, basically, first off, like there were a lot of questions in, in the comments that um, basically people weren't clear. Like, is there a 12 volt? Is there a 48 volt? What is going on? Can we start there? Is, is it all 48 volt system? I have heard so many mixed things, but I think the general consensus at the time of this recording is that the entire um, logic boards of the truck, the screens, the ancillary electronics have all been upgraded to run on the native 48-volt bus. However, there are likely a few components that haven't been made it to 48 volts. I'm thinking trailer wiring, per perhaps like little things here and there that we don't know about, a little module. And there are um, DC to DC converters that I'm sure Tesla has put in the truck that over time, they'll probably try and get all of those natively on 48 volt as well. That's just my impression from the outside looking in. Okay, interesting. So what is the, does that system have its own battery or is it maybe a step down from the main pack? Yeah, so I think everyone's kind of thinking there's a DC to DC between the high voltage battery pack and the low voltage stuff. I, I don't know if there's a 48 volt battery per se or if there's just a low 12 volt battery like uh, or 16 volt like whatever the lithium ones they use within a dc to dc up it just seems like we're at the very beginning phases of 48 volt and i'm not totally sure how tesla's integrated it these are all the things of course when we get one to test we'll start putting multimeters on a bunch of stuff and seeing what kind of voltage each component's running at because that's what I'm interested in, it sounds like the native architecture is 48 volts. It also sounds like there will be some DC to DC. I'm not sure if there's a low voltage battery pack. It's a lot of speculation in this area just because no one's really tested it. And ultimately, to the end user, does it matter? The answer is no, not really. I mean, a little bit less weight, but you're still driving a big ass truck around and, you know, in theory, less cost, but Tesla's charging 120 grand for the foundation series. So, you know, does that really get passed on? Uh, hard to say. So yeah, I, I, it shouldn't make a difference to like the user interaction. The only thing I can think of is there's probably no 12 volt socket anywhere in the truck. Hmm. Okay. So if we don't know exactly where the power is coming from or what it's going to power and stuff, so still a question mark, but again, so we'll just have to see when we, yeah, get our own, like you said, and can do those measurement measurements ourselves. All right. So now you pick the next topic. Now go ahead. You can just go through. We'll run, we'll run them in the list. Okay. So uh, there was some questions about the steer by wire. Um, and a lot of it had to do with the full self-driving capabilities because if you're sitting there and you don't have to touch the steering wheel is it going to be moving when it's driving uh in fsd mode is essentially the question i know that I don't, we don't know for sure but yeah i don't think we've seen one working in fsd yet 
uh, or in even basic autopilot yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem like the trucks will ship with version 12 of their software. Mm-hmm. However, we're not sure. My guess is that the steering wheel will turn. I think that's just only natural. And then you can just nudge it a little bit uh, and you'll probably get miscompobulated if it doesn't. So I would say 99% chance the squircle still steering. Um, I, I think it would be too weird if it doesn't, I but it, ag- it's agree. technically, it's technically possible yeah. that they keep the wheel straight. But I just think that would be odd. And I think someone or, or someone made a good point in the comments that was like, in terms of uh, safety, the wheel should probably be where the car is going so that if you do have to take over, you're not starting from. Well, know. yeah, that would be the idea. It, the only w- reason it matters is A, driver confidence to know that something's actually happening and B, for takeover. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you're taking over mid-corner and then you go left does, and the wheel is centered, do you just go, whoa, full send to the left? I doubt right. that it's going to not turn like a normal wheel. I don't think Tesla wants to go too crazy with this steer by wire, at least initially. Mm -hmm. So um, also folks were talking about how steer by wire has existed before. Of course, um, I mean, it it has, but in this kind of production, we haven't seen it. But what happens if steer by wire has a power failure? Do we know what, what would happen there? How would you take over if there's no column with this system? Well, I'd kind of like to try that. I'd like to just like pull the high voltage it? disconnect, uh. pull the the twelve volt or the low. Well, I guess it would run on forty eight. So if we if we kill high voltage, what happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't know actually. I don't know what. So there's there's obviously double redundant motors up there. There's obviously uh, you know triple redundant sensors. What happens when there's no electricity? Could there even be a case where there's no electricity? Um, you know, how, do they have some sort of backup capacitor running at, uh, you know, separately in, in parallel to at least get you to the side of the road type thing? I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, most of these questions, I'm sure we don't have the answer to because we probably would have said it if we knew these things. True. So, you know, this is like these are all great topics, but I can't say we're going to have too many answers. But what would make sense to me would be if you lose, for whatever reason, high voltage if there's an isolation issue and the truck has to, you know, basically open the contactors of the battery pack, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of capacitor or storage for the 48 volt system and probably another dedicated battery or some sort of power backup for the steering system. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure there is. And keep in mind, the steering system was developed in collaboration with, uh, you know, sort of a tier one supplier, a Bosch or a Magna. We're not sure which one, but I think it's Bosch. And, you know, these are companies that don't just build products for Tesla. They build products for the entire automotive industry. And and definitely, you know, there's there's going to be backup safety measures with this one. Fly-by-wire, steer-by-wire, drive-by-wire. These are not new topics. Um, but like, for example, I have had throttle-by-wire systems fail on me. So, you know, it, it's not nothing is 100% like, fail proof. Uh, and, and neither is a normal steering rack. Like you could have a major issue where your steering rack just, you know, basically takes a, you know what? And I've had that happen in an old Range Rover. So none of these systems are a hundred percent perfect, but if you can get 99.999 rolling, Mm -hmm. then I think we're good. But yeah, that's a really good question. more of a theoretical question. What happens if you lose power? We should somehow figure out a way to simulate that. 
We can try. Yeah, the redundancy there is obviously key to make sure that it is as safe as possible if it is relying on the steer by wire. So because it is, uh, these are steer by wire, what do you think about the theoretical possibility of the right-hand drive options for the Cybertruck? As far as I'm aware, Tesla's only wanting to sell it in the North American market, US and Canada. Um, I, I don't even think Mexico. I don't think it was planned to go to any right-hand drive markets. Hmm. But, but like, it's not that difficult it... to make a right-hand drive vehicle anyway. Yeah, sometimes you got to move some a couple components around. It should make it slightly easier, but you still have to redesign the entire dash. And like, there's so many other things that go into right-hand drive versus left-hand drive from a homologation standpoint, a lighting standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say, yeah, maybe makes one component of a right-hand drive easier for sure. But okay. is it that big of a deal? Probably not. I don't okay. know. Also, I, yeah, I just don't think they're going to sell it in any right-hand drive markets, at least initially. Hmm. Interesting. We'll see about that. But All I right. did see a lot of comments on the like, oh, right-hand drive thing. And I'm like, where, what, where are they sending this thing? Uh, you know I mean, what I mean? Like I feel South like Korea hopeful, though. is going to get them. India's right-hand drive, but Tesla doesn't sell in India. The UK, this is not a UK vehicle. It's not, but... I think that's the question is like, where else can this go? The kind of is like, like what's able to drive this? Yeah. Japan. Imagine driving through Tokyo in that thing. Well, I have never been, but I can't imagine driving that. I mean, giant trucks really do make it um, harder to get. It's not that big. It's an F-150, which is normal here. Sure. Normal, but still a large I mean, still a large truck. I still people still see people whipping those around around the city that don't know how to drive them. Sure, chaos. sure. But it's not like it's an F three fifty eight foot bed dually. No. Those are like massive. True. Yeah, it's still yeah. it's still in line with with the the regular truck size. Yeah, are the size all, doesn't bother me. Good. Are all uh, three Cybertruck trims uh, rear steer? We don't know about the rear-wheel drive, but at least because we haven't seen one yet, but at least all-wheel drive and Cyber Beast are rear steer, and okay. it appears to not be an option. It appears to be standard. So we're not sure about the rear-wheel drive. Rear we're not steer. even sure if they'll ever make it. This is true. We'll have to see. What did they say? It was 2025? 2025. Right. I, I would not be surprised at all if they say. A lot of people surprisingly wanted it in the comments. I saw it, but it's like, okay. Should, would you buy a used all-wheel drive by the time that comes out for sixty grand, or would you buy a new rear-wheel drive? I did see many comments of people who specifically want the rear-wheel drive and were a bit, um, you know, they were fighting because you had kind of the stance that it was like, oh, it's just to make it cheaper. Who wants this? Yeah. A lot of people were saying, no, actually, this is great for the kind of work that I need. This is my ideal choice. So great. Speaking up for y'all. <laughs> well, there you go. Order it. and Maybe Tesla will actually build it. That's a good point. So I have one more steering question, and I'm going to ask it as this person did. So if they tune the steering ratio based on speed, what happens if you are on a constant radius bend while accelerating? Need to apply more steering input as you go faster? Can you imagine um, that scenario? My guess is yes. Um, that is going to be one of the tests that we do, of course, is constant radius turns at varying speed and their varying load. Um 
in different drive modes as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it already sounds like just listening to recently um, the three main folks who reviewed it, excluding Matt Watson, weirdly, was MKBHD, Jason Camisa, and, uh, and Top Gear. And so the three of them got together on a podcast, and Jason was saying that he tried the steer-by-wire on two different softwares, and they're still going to continue iterations. So, you know, I'm sure whenever we do that video, it will change through software, and but we still got to try that because th- I have the same, you know, questions as to, is it going to, you know, once you put in a steering lock, is it going to hold that, assuming you don't change anything, or are you going to have to keep putting in steering to compensate for the speed? We'll see. Yeah. Okay. So we went over a bit of those EPA documents that had come out. Um, have have any of the numbers changed? Or is it still these dummy documents? It literally says dummy in the documents I was reading. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we've seen any updated data. Okay. So then one question was saying, you know, why would that document list the three? Uh, the three permanent magnet motors, but we kind of addressed that where it was perhaps taking it from previous documents that they've done for the model S. Yeah. The only, like every indication, including from the head of powertrain tells us on the cyber beast, it's an, a two motors in the rear are induction and the front is permanent magnet. It's not how I would necessarily tune the drivetrain system. I would probably do it the other way around. Um, but that's how they did it. And the, um, the EPA documents show three permanent magnets, but I don't think that is accurate. Mm-hmm. And also, for the longest time in Model 3s, we thought they updated the motors because they used to show dual permanent magnet. Like in the car system, it would say motor type rear in permanent magnet, motor type front permanent magnet. And then they got a software update and it actually went, oh, motor type front induction. I'm like, ah, so you didn't change anything. So mm-hmm. it was really weird. They like self-labeled them wrong. Hmm. Which was pretty wild. Yeah, interesting oversight, I would say. On to towing and hauling. Of course, this is a truck. A lot of people are thinking about the utility of it. Tesla likes to call it more truck than a truck. So we'll, of course, see about that. Which trim do you think will be best for towing? Um, don't think it really... I mean, so you'll, you'll technically have more payload with the all-wheel drive. By a couple hundred pounds, because GVWR is like ninety six or ninety seven, and this thing weighs like sixty six to sixty nine, depending on spec, somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, I know I kind of botched those numbers a little bit, but basically, the all wheel drive you'll get a little bit, a um, little bit more payload, and with towing, acceleration is not a topic. Uh, it's not a problem. You know, it's it's gentle throttle with a trailer and a load and stuff. You don't want to jostle everything and. You know, you're never just going to be romping on something with a trailer. Now, I have done that. We do it for videos sometimes to show dynamic stuff. But in practice, you're just sitting cruising, uh, gentle accelerations, decelerations. And um, I don't think it makes a difference as to which drivetrain you go. The range difference between the two is going to be pretty much, you know, of course, if you can have your usable range with a trailer, now the differences between a Cyber Beast and an all-wheel drive become less. So if you're going to tow a lot, just save, save the money and just get the all-wheel drive is my impression. Okay, so dual versus tri-motor, not a huge influence there? Sounds like the battery is going to be the same. The charging is going to be the same. Um, yeah, there's very little benefit to having the extra motors other than maybe it can regen a little bit more. 
um, with with three motors instead of two. Although technically Tesla always holds back on the regen mm-hmm. uh, for for like driver comfort more than actual technical limitations. And you know you can just try that by driving a Model Three Performance or a Plaid and put it in track mode, and you'll get way more regen than under normal driving. And perhaps mm-hmm. they do the same thing with towing, where you get way more regen when towing. But at least glancing at it now, I think the all-wheel drive is going to be just fine for towing. Okay. What is that limiting factor on towing weight? Because I believe that it was um, shown that the all-wheel and the beast were rated for the same. Right. Yeah, I think they say 11,000 pounds each. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of calculations that go into vehicle dynamics, tongue weight, um, yeah, there isn't just one metric to point to. We could actually do a video on it. I know the guys actually who work for GM who set up the Silverado, uh, the entire truck line, including the EV, uh, and set the towing capacities for each of those. And a lot of it comes down to certain maneuvers that they needed to perform with a trailer with safety in mind, um, with some buffer overhead for, you know, sort of driver error, if you will. And that's how they come up with most of their stuff. But a lot of it comes down to GVWR with tongue weight, plus the type of hitch that you have, which the, the hitch in this case is not the limitation, plus stability, dynamics, loads, safety mostly. It all comes down to safety at the end of the day. All righty. Okay. So we, we've hit steer-by-wire, powertrain, v, uh, 48-volt, towing and hauling. What about... The battery. So we did a whole episode on this, of course, and there are still plenty of questions that we, I'm sure, don't have answers to. So if they'll all have the same battery, why would the rear-wheel drive version have significantly less range than the dual motor? Seems because like they... the rear-wheel drive doesn't have the same battery. Okay, so can you, we address that in our podcast? Yep, we said, uh, you know, in the early YouTube reviews. Everyone said 123 kilowatt hours for each. So there's two possibilities. They either have software plan to software limit the battery pack, which would be pretty dumb, I think, because unless there's a way to unlock it in the future, that's just lost revenue for the amount of product. And it seems like there's cell constraints. So it would almost be of interest to Tesla to reduce the number of cells per vehicle. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so, or, or it's just a truly smaller pack. Or third option, they don't build the rear-wheel drive. Right. <laughs> um, so for the, the density level of this uh, battery, do you think they're measuring, like, the density level is more at the cell level or the pack level? Yeah, the 171 hour per kilogram is at the pack level. That includes the structural pack. So does the 185 watt hour per kilogram for Model S includes the battery pack as well. Um, And those are both pretty good numbers. I went around and actually looked at some competition. It was much better than some of the things out there. Um, But we'll have some podcasts with you on like this one battery technology as well. And that has like significantly higher energy density, which is kind of interesting. So yeah, technology should improve in this space. I hope, I think 4680s will improve in this space. Ultimately with a truck, you got room. So You know, does density matter so much? I would argue yes for weight reasons, but Mm -hmm. much less than if you were building a sports car. This is true. Yeah. I mean, I think you shouldn't just keep trying to fit as many batteries inside of an EV as you can, but to. I don't know. I like the GM approach. Stuff batteries in it. Send it. 
Mm, I disagree. I think we should work on the efficiency of the batteries, but it's a very sane approach. Yeah, that's a very very reasonable approach. (laughs) (laughs) Tend to be so. So speaking of the 4680 cell, so there have been complaints of the thermal management of this, especially in Rivian's. So um, does the 4680 help solve some of these problems at all in the way that it's being used with Tesla? Um, so the, j- just to be clear, I know you know this, but uh, Rivian uses a 2170 cell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 4680 is just the form factor of the cell. And in theory, it's worse for cooling because now there's more material. There's more gradient temperature within the cell. Even if you cool the entire jacket or the outside of the cell, there's still more space inside for hot spotting for a temperature rise to occur before you can get to it with a a cooling line. So Tesla's always had amazing thermal management with their, at least especially their recent products. Model 3 onwards have been awesome. Model S Plaid is incredible for, for its thermal capabilities, but you still overheat them very quickly. I mean, electric cars, no one has one that you can just rip on consistently yet. Um, except maybe Polestar 2, surprisingly. That one is good. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I don't know. We'll have to test it because Model Y thermals have not really been a problem. It's not, right. It's not. that's not the issue with it. So I'm going to guess based off how most people are going to use this truck, thermal derating is going to be very minimal and probably not impact anyone based off of Model Y and the use case of the truck, even while towing. I mean, we'll certainly play around with it, but I think Tesla is going to have that dialed in pretty well, even with a slightly worse design for cooling, which is 4680. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I do love the battery chemistry and format. All this topic, so excited to bring more of those uh, conversations onto the podcast. On to the range extender. So this is a, a bit of a funny something kind of. So basically it's being able to put like an actual physical range extender, like an extra battery into the Cybertruck to get that extended range, which mm, I don't know. So uh, obviously people are like, why on earth is this? This just doesn't seem optimal. Or some people are like, this is a great ad. So um, what do you think about, I know that we don't know a lot about it, but can you tell me a little bit more about like the shape and the function of this, which is why there are a bit of differing opinions here? I think it requires a full episode. There's a lot we don't know. I mean, this whole episode has been, here's what we don't know, because a lot of these questions we would have tried to to answer in our normal coverage. But it is great to hear where people are thinking, because these are all the questions I have as well that I want to play around with. So it's great to know, you know, here's a preview of what we're going to be testing when we can. Um, the range extender is going to weigh a lot. It's going to be a pain in the butt to install and uninstall. And we're not sure if it directly hooks up to the battery, either in series or parallel, or if it will be a DC to DC in between the two. That would be the easiest thing, I think. And if it has its own closed loop cooling system, uh, that would make sense to me as well. Some people claim they saw coolant lines on the top of the uh, the battery pack on the PEM, the power electronics module, um, which is where this is going to sit directly over in the truck. Um, I still think this is one of those things that Tesla hasn't fully sorted yet. Um, just based off of rumblings that I've heard in the industry and internally, it just sounds like, okay, maybe this will happen. Maybe it won't. And so I'm not sure. I'm I'm just not sure. This is the only thing I was really thinking, okay, I would not be surprised if this doesn't make it, if it does make it to production, I'm pretty excited about it because I like the idea of a range extender. I actually like the idea of a combustion range extender for towing. 
but I think uh, no one's going to complain about more range. The problem is it takes up a lot of space in the bed and a lot of weight. So your payload now went from 2,500 to 1,500 pounds, which is a mm-hmm. big difference. And if you have a trailer with you know a 500 pound you know tongue weight, now you only have a thousand pounds of payload. You put four people in there, that's 800 pounds. Then you can only bring a couple suitcases before yeah. you're overweight. Yeah. It so and that's just seem like an ideal setup. And if you put four people in there who are quite large, now you can't bring anything with you and be legal. You can put it on the trailer. Um, but you know, these are the like it starts really payload is so important. And Teslas in general always have very low payload. I mean, look at open the door of your if you have a model three or model S to our viewers. I think my model S only has like a nine hundred pound payload. I'm like, what? I've had like Pretty heavy. I, I mean, I, I have some big friends. I've put us all in there, and I'm like, I think we're overweight. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and that's without any luggage. So it's like, what the heck? Um, right. So yeah. So yeah. How much you pay attention to that stuff? I don't know, but I, I, my recommendation is always try and you know, from an insurance standpoint, if you get into a major accident, these are the things that will come back and bite you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're not really yeah. conscious of these limitations, it doesn't seem to be as a simple as. A solution as yeah, just put in a, a range extender in your in your truck bed. Oh my well, it's gosh, like the service centers. Further. The service centers are already busy. Okay, the, you, there's no way you're taking this thing out at your house and and putting it on the ground for stationary storage because how the heck would you do that? Um, so it's going to stay in the truck, and then when you want to remove it from the truck, you got to take it out at the service center. Then what happens? Then it's like okay, you want to sell it to a friend. Okay, do they then have to go to the service center to install it in their truck? But then does the service center hold on to it, which they don't even want to hold on to cars because they have no room? I don't know. I, I think this whole thing, I'm sure Tesla can figure it out. They can make it work. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it seems very un-Tesla and very messy. It does. Uh, it's a bit of a curious thing to to go with in this way because it doesn't really fit seamlessly into the Cybertruck at all. And as you said, it, it has a lot of other factors that kind of take away the functionality. Like if Tesla wanted to offer a factory large battery pack that had an additional 50 kilowatt hours worth of storage, I'm all in. I'll buy that truck. That's great. Um, but as soon as like, and I would buy the range extender too, because I think it would make interesting content and I need as much range. But if they do a DC to DC between the two while supercharging, I don't know if it's going to charge as fast. So many questions that that Tesla's been really quiet on. And Drew Baglino has been great at responding to our questions on Twitter, uh, except when it comes to the range extender. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nothing there yet. Um, Okay, so kind of moving from inside to outside of the truck. So it's this stainless steel, right? Um, What were like, what have you learned so far about this? And maybe this is more of a Colton question, but how like how significant this choice is in terms of the Cybertruck to use this material? in the way that they have, which is all in-house material and stamping and everything. Yeah, so it's HFS, hard freaking steel, and love that. I think it's cool. I I mean, I I think it makes a lot of sense. Their paint quality has never been great. My Model S had a bunch of dust nibs in it from the factory. Colton's working on a Model Y that has a bunch, and it just slows down the process. It's not environmentally friendly. It's like painting a car, and then you got to worry about the paint all the time. Stainless steel makes a lot of sense here. And we've spoken about it on a few podcasts, but it sounds like their blend, which I think is similar to 301, but then also has some anti-corrosive properties and some other things baked into this new type of blend. And I'm not a material science expert, so I can't say. 
Um, also, I heard maybe it's only 1.5 millimeters thick, not three millimeters thick. Okay. Interesting. Maybe mm-hmm. it is three millimeters. That's just a couple comments were saying that. Mm-hmm. So we should get a little gauge out to see. Um, and this is, it seems like uh, Tesla has gone really for a structural focus for like a lot of the Cybertruck from the battery to the outside. Is is this I mean, what do you think about this approach that is, yeah, I guess really more of a structural approach than we've seen on a lot of trucks? Yeah, it's totally reimagined. There's nothing like it on the road, and that's cool. I love innovation. Whether it's good or bad, it's interesting to see how this will play out and if other automakers you know, sort of catch on or if this pr- proves to be too complicated to engineer, just too far out of the norm where no one else will do it. Does that leave Tesla at an advantage at that point? Possibly. You know, we've seen some articles recently about the repair costs of this stuff. Um, I'm not sure what that will prove out to be. It actually, from my opinion, looks easier to repair uh, than than a normal car. Um, so, but but I'm not a crash repair expert. These are the things, you know, we'll, we'll hear stories. Of course, the first one that gets crashed will have an obscenely high repair cost because no one knows how to do anything. And that'll be the story that gets blasted in the media. Um, but that's a real experience for whichever owner that happens to. So, you know, I'm not saying it's all going to be negative coverage or wrong coverage, but it's going to be interesting to to at least watch how this plays out. Personally, I think it's a great idea to change up how cars are made. Why is every panel painted on every car? Why is it either aluminum or light steel on a lot of vehicles? I don't know. Let's play around with different things. There was once a paper car. It was like made of like high strength fiber of some kind that was similar to like paper. And maybe it was Russian. I can't remember. But I thought that was so cool. I'm like, wow, why are we making cars out of metal? And BMW's had some concepts with hemp on the outside of cars and some other cool things. Of course, fiberglass have been has been done previously. So I, I love the experimenting. I love the, the trial and error. I think it's still too new for us to know the real pros and cons of this system uh, or this design. At least we know we can shoot it, which is cool. Um, everyone thinks that's dumb. I think that's awesome. I mean, like who cares? That's just kind of cool. Like it's a neat party trick. Like, let me, you know, have a few beers, shoot my truck, get back to the party. (laughs) This is America. (laughs) I love it. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Uh, More beer and guns all mixed together. Welcome. Um, Welcome to a great country. So, you know, I think it'll be fun. You know, you you get that thing out, you go have some fun with it. it. It's ultimately, it's like the ultimate party trick of a vehicle. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm into it. Whether or not that's a practical benefit from an owner, it's definitely not. It's just like a cool showcase. No, it, yeah. It's a bit like launch mode in a plaid. No one really does that every traffic light, but it's kind of cool to show your friends. It's a demonstration of Tesla's approach where they can really experiment, obviously, with what they're making. Not only do they have the capabilities, but also the teams that seem to be really motivated to push the boundaries, of course, which is probably, you know, I mean, it's quite different from other automakers who perhaps are following the way that we've been doing things because it works, because we have the the traditional systems in place to make them that way. But Tesla has that different perspective. Yeah, I'm not sure from like an owner perspective what benefits you really get from the stainless steel. Certainly styling is one, less door dings is one, um, you know, le- less maybe hassle, but also like it fingerprints pretty quickly. I'm not sure if it actually does stain or not. Like, I'm not sure what the properties are. So mm-hmm. Colton's doing a bunch of research, getting test panels, playing around with stuff. So keep an eye on out of spec detailing for all of those tips yeah. and tricks that will be coming. It'd be fun to have a spill test, just spilling everything on the Cybertruck. 
yeah, like what if you pour acid on it? Like I don't know. We got all these interesting. Everything. Yeah. Water. So whoever loans us. Their Cybertruck. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we're going to have some fun with it. And until then, there's a lot of questions we can't answer that a lot of the audience has asked, including things about, you know, charging and efficiency and, you know, what exactly like it's like to be, I mean, you have been inside one, but, you know, inside with all the entertainment and the cluster and everything and really interacting with it. But um, yeah, it sounds like the sound system bumps is what people are saying on Twitter. Yeah, some of the, the software guys that like help tune it and stuff, they were saying like this is pretty next level. Um great. yeah, it sounds like the ride is amazing. You know, it's one of those things where we we had a lot of info early on after the delivery event. The initial trucks went out, we learned a bunch, and I think we kind of communicated everything we know. Exactly. So this episode is a great summary of what we don't know. So Kyle, we've we you were at the delivery event, they delivered like what, 10 cars or more? I mean Yeah, I, I heard you- twenty-two. Okay, twenty. I also cars heard a lot of stuff. Trucks. I'm not sure. Yeah, right. We we've heard a lot. Obviously, everyone has heard a lot, and we're we're weighing that with what we know. Um, but so, what do you know about how many are getting on the road as of now? Unsure. Really, don't know. It sounds like deliveries are starting right now in Texas and California uh, for foundation. Like a lot of the early reservation owners were invited to get a foundation series mm-hmm. truck, which is like the first edition, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it sounds like it's going to happen soon. So the more people that take delivery, the more opportunities we have to either get one or to borrow one or, or rent one mm-hmm. and to do all the videos with my understanding is the clause, the $50,000 penalty. And like, you're never allowed to buy a Tesla if you sell it is there. And, uh, I, that's what I was saying. I said, you know, they, they took it out of just the normal car stuff, but then the cyber truck owners, you know, they really don't want them flipping them for a year. Of course there's ways around it. Um, you know, that, and who knows if Tesla will enforce it. Tesla would probably be a company to enforce it would be my guess. Um, at least for the first couple to make an example, but still people are going to pay more than 50 over for these things new. So it's, people will still make money even if they're fined 50 grand. Good point. So we will, yeah, I mean, that's basically what we know so far. Like Kyle said, thanks for asking your questions. It definitely sparked some interesting conversations with us and we will keep an eye out for a cyber truck so that our team can get a hold of it. I will be there when it happens as long as I can. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Of course, if you're enjoying this, let us know by liking and subscribing and, you know, contributing to the discussion as you all always do. So thanks so much. And we'll see you next time on the Out of Spec podcast. Thank you.